really interestingly, what's been on my heart, particularly this week as we come to Father's Day and as we get into the passage we're about to read today. And I love how God does stuff because we mapped this, this Hebrew series out like six months ago with not a skerrick of thought about Father's Day and when that would fall. And when we read this passage in a second, you're going to be like, whoa, how good's God, how he does that. But in reading this and studying this and preparing this message, what's been on my heart is that while for some of you walking in today, Father's Day is a great day, it's a great celebration, uh, it's a day you look forward to, but for many others in the life of our church community, it's a very difficult day. Uh, and so you guys have been on my heart, um, and really what Lauren just talked about, that idea that we have a heavenly Father who is good, who is loving, who is kind, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but no matter what's going on in your world, no matter what baggage you brought in today or what burden you brought in today that we can celebrate this day because of our heavenly father we can celebrate our good God and we can give him praise and last week we talked about running that race and we talked about sometimes we get runner's gut uh, sometimes we get chafing sometimes it's a difficult run if you didn't hear that message go and look at it because um, then it will make a lot more sense what I'm talking about but uh, some of you came in today with that spiritual chafing and today's tough so Firstly, well done for coming to church. Well done for being in the house of God. We love you. We're here to run with you. So I want us just to stand to our feet and we're going to pray together and invite God to speak. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to gather on Father's Day. Thank you for the chance to celebrate our earthly dads, but also and more importantly to celebrate you and all that you have done for us. And Father, I pray that you give us a clear picture of your father heart today. I pray that you give a clear picture of your love for your children, your people. And God, we just ask that for those in this space who are coming heavy laden, Lord, that they would find rest in you this morning. That we would cast those anxieties and cast those burdens upon you. Because you are good and we love you. So Lord, we commit this morning to ask you, you, you would speak. Um, you would speak. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews 12, you may be seated. Verses, we're going to start at verse 2, so we'll rehash a couple of verses from last week, and then we'll go through to the end of verse 13 from the NIV. It says this, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father? Someone say, Father addresses his son. It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good. For our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace 
for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, in light of this, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. What a fascinating word to stumble across on Father's Day. Amen. God, speak, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I don't know what traditions you have in your household around this day, around Father's Day. My family has a little bit of a tradition where my grandparents started it, where they had this idea that for Father's Day or for Mother's Day, it wouldn't be that we would give them gifts, but rather they would give gifts to us. So they would give gifts to their kids. And the reason being, the logic they had was that, well, we made them parents and therefore the celebration of the parent is in gifting the one who made them a parent. I was like, heck, I'm going to take that. So fantastic. So we used to get presents. We've not implemented that in our family. Um, I'm here this morning sporting a brand new jumper. Thank you very much. And some brand new flamingo socks. Thank you very much from the kids. Um, But it's interesting, this idea of gift giving and that when we celebrate Father's Day, that there would be this concept that the father would actually give gifts to his children as opposed to the child giving a gift to the father. And I think it's, I think it's actually more biblical than the common practice, that the celebration of a father is the father giving a gift. And as it just so happens, we actually have a gift that has arrived uh, in the mail this week from God to his church. Just randomly, it was like a little note that said, uh, Dear Hills Baptist, this is real love. This is real love is what it said uh, from your heavenly Father God. And I was like, cool, fantastic, we'll take that gift. Uh, But then I thought, well, it's probably not fair that I just get to open it and keep it. So it's only fair that we actually put it out there and that someone might have the opportunity to take this beautiful gift from God. Amen. And so we're going to play, I'll talk to April, how are we going to do this? We said, let's play a little game. So we're going to play a little game called Sit Down If. So everyone stand to your feet. Some of you have played this before. The simple premise is whoever's the last person standing wins the gift. Okay? You with me? Yes, you with me? We're going to have to be a bit more vocal. All right, here we go. Sit down if you were born on the 31st day of any month. Just jolly. Fantastic, mate. Uh, Sit down if you have ever owned a pet rabbit or a pet snake. Not as many rabbit lovers or snake lovers as we had at the nine o'clock. Sit down if you have broken more than two bones in your body. Okay, fantastic. Sit down if you regularly pick your nose when no one's looking. (laughs) Sit down if you just don't care and you pick it anyway. I had one in here, which I, I have to say, because I was hoping Steve Lamey would be here. He couldn't come today. But I said, sit down if your son sent your pastor a photo of you sleeping during one of his online sermons. <laughs> so, uh, there you go, Steve. God bless you, brother. <laughs> uh, sit down if you forgot your homework or lunch and your mum has brought it to school this year. Any teenagers in the house? They're already sitting down because <laughs> they pick their noses. Uh, Sit down if you shaved this morning. Sit down if you've ridden a motorcycle. Oh, sit down if you prefer glamping over camping. Look at this. Sit down if you have green eyes. Sit down if you or your parents drive a Toyota. Toyota. 
Sit down if you have a secret tattoo your parents don't know about. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm not going to say your name in case they're watching. <laughs> That's so great. Uh, sit down if on average you would spend more than four hours a day in front of a screen. We're down to two. Sit down if you've ever posted a picture of your food on Instagram. We have a winner. <laughs> come on forward. Come on forward. I love it. Fantastic. Come up here. What's your name? Neil. Neil. It's Neil. All right, Neil, open it up for us. Let's see what God gave us. Remember, this is real love. This is real love, what God said. Have we got a mic here? We've got a mic. You can, you can read out what's happening as we... Uh, here we go. So what have we got? What have we got? What have we got, Neil? What every man needs, mate. New socks. New socks. Some new jocks. Fantastic. <laughs> some antibacterial wipes. New ripper. And some roll-on deodorant. Fantastic. Yeah, that's yours. You get to keep that, take that. Thank you, Neil. You can take a seat. Brilliant. This is real love. So God says, the gift I'm giving you, which is real love, is jocks, socks, deodorant, and antibacterial wipes. Here's my question. Why is it that God, who could have given a Rolex, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, he could have given anything he wanted. Why does he give us just not what we want, but what we need? Could it be that it's an illustration that true love, pure love, real love actually isn't about what I want. It's about what I need. That the object of that, that true love says, no, it's not about me. It's about you. That this is what we see in love. And friends, I want you to just grasp this for a second because this is vital. This is actually so important. This is the foundation of everything we're about to look at is this understanding of the true nature of love. Because if we're not careful, when we come to this text today, given our, again, given our, um, our postmodern cultural climate and our aversion to anything that might be uncomfortable or any idea that discipline might involve hardship or pain or difficulty, our culture says, uh-uh, it's easy to read this and just to brush it off and say, well, that's just, that's just a cultural thing. It doesn't really apply to today. But when we actually grasp this concept that actually love is not about what I want but what I need, when we actually have a proper perspective of love, then all of a sudden this passage comes alive. And so that's the foundation on which we're going we're gonna to tackle everything today. Um, if you're a, a note taker, the title of this message that you can write down is simply two words, pure love. Pure love. That's what we're looking at. Uh, so let me just, again, paint the context, because this is key, right? So the context that he's writing, we know this, we've looked at this, is he's writing to first century Jews who have chosen no longer to pursue righteousness through legalism. That they have said, right, that, that Christ is the fulfillment of the old covenant. They've recognized that this Jewish faith was all about pointing people to the Messiah. And they're saying, Jesus is that Messiah. Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one who I am relying on and trusting on and believing in for my salvation. On top of that, 
recognise that in Jewish culture, there is this powerful, deep, uh, ingrained understanding of obedience and blessing. So I obey, if I obey God, I will be blessed. Like go back to the, you know, to the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and understand that so many times, over and over and over again, God says, if you will, then I will. The blessings and curses. If you do this, then I will pour out blessing. I will pour out favor. And so we see them inherit land. We see them conquer kings. We see them experience and encounter marvelous things on account of the blessing of God as a result of obedience. But we also see the, the, the vice versa of that in that when there's disobedience, there's the curse. There's the result of stepping out of the blessing of God. There's the wandering for 40 years in a desert. And so there's this sense in a Jewish, a first century Jewish person that if I obey, I will be blessed. Right? That's how they're viewing it. And so this author is writing into this space and he's saying, I know you're confused, guys, because you are obeying Christ and yet now you're suffering. You've made a decision to follow Christ. And so if this is of God, you're saying, where is my blessing? Where is my reward? Because what I'm experiencing is suffering. What I'm experiencing is hardship. It's difficulty. And so the author of Hebrews is writing to get them to realize that actually they need to view their suffering. They need to understand what they're going through through a different lens. That they can no longer just look at it through the lens of the old covenant. But as we've learned over the last seven weeks, the old has been fulfilled in the new and that we need to view these, these things that God had done, the promises of God, through the perspective of Christ and Christ crucified. And when we look through that lens, then everything that we know all of a sudden comes alive in a new way. So I want you to see this suffering that you're enduring, enduring differently. And so he writes to them, and he writes beautifully, and he, he quotes Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, and he paints this picture. This is how I'm going to explain it to you. I'm going to explain it to you through the analogy of a father and a son. And I want you to understand what you're going through by looking at this relationship between a father and a son. And culturally, when we hit this, we live in a very different culture. But it's still true today. It's still true. It's so important today that when we have a look at our world and we look at maybe our fathers and how they've failed us, that we change our perspective and we actually see God for who he is, the true father, the one true God, and allow that word to just resonate in our hearts. So here's the first thing that I want to pull out of this, and it's just hopefully a short word for us this morning. But number one that we will see is that God is our true father and he is good. God is our true father and he is good. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what you've come in with. I don't know what your family situation looks like. I don't know how you have suffered at the hands of a father or you've suffered because of the absence of a father or because you're suffering because you desperately want to be a father. I don't know what that looks like for you, but the promise of God is that he is the true father. 
that our earthly fathers are supposed to be a shadow that points us towards the true nature of who God is and the way he wants to interact with us. But the problem is because there's so much sin and brokenness in the world, so many fathers fall short of that mark. And so we then go, well, how can I possibly see God as father? But what the writer of Hebrews wants us to see is that God is the perfect father. And a perfect father is good. He is love. He is, by very nature, loving. First John 4, God is love. That is the nature of our God. That is who he is. That is the nature of our Father. And so whatever your heart and your head is going through this morning, I just want to encourage you in this space that God is a good, good Father. And that means he is for you. And he loves you. And as we come to this day, as we come to Father's Day, whatever's going on in your world, whatever's spinning around in your head, fundamentally we need to understand that the nature of this day is about love. Some of you are celebrating love today. You're celebrating the reality of a father who has been good to you and loves you. But some of you are lamenting the lack of a father who should have been good to you and should have loved you. Some of you are grieving the absence of a love that you once had. Some of you are grieving what you wish you did have. But the, the, the essence is a conversation around love. Whether full or absent, it's love. Today, Father's Day is about love. Father's Day is about a God who is love. Who is present, who is attentive, who listens. God is our true Father and he is good. And this is why the author of Hebrews uses this illustration because he's saying, hey, understand that God is a good father. And when we see this passage through that lens of the nature of a good father, we start to have these powerful truths. Here's the second thing we see coming out of the nature of a good father. A good father, the second thing we see is that love disciplines. And it gets awfully quiet in church when you start talking about the fact that love disciplines. Because we don't want to talk about that and we don't want to hear that. But love disciplines. You know, when we, when we got married, Joe and I first got married, someone uh, did a painting for us. They did like a canvas for us. And on that canvas, they simply wrote these words. And it said, love is wanting the best for someone in the highest, purest way. I don't know about you. Have you ever, like, have you ever read something and you're like, Gee, that's good. But you're not quite, like, you're reading, you're like, yeah, there's something on that. <laughs> but then you sit with it, you're like, I feel like, there's, I feel like there's something in that that's deeper than what I'm grasping. I used to just sit, I used to look at that thing all the time, day after day after day. We ended up putting it in the bathroom. And so every day, I'd just be watching it, looking at this thing, like, yeah. The high, love is wanting the best for someone in the highest, purest way. But what does that actually mean? You see, in our culture and in our dictionaries, it defines love a particular way. We think that love is about me. Now, we define love this way, having intense feelings of devotion and pleasure. Love is about having an experience of a deep desire for the object of your affection. Love is about how you feel and how you respond to that emotion. So our, our dictionaries 
And our culture is saying the fundamental nature of love is me and what I feel and how I respond to what I'm feeling. But that's not love. That's not what the Bible says. That's the opposite. In fact, the, the scriptural understanding of love is completely contrary to that because Jesus says greater love has no one than this that he laid down his life for his friends. When Jesus was there, you know, being tortured and beaten and abandoned and abused and hung on a cross, do you think that he was feeling deep devotion and pleasure toward the object of his beloved? He was, enduring, he was enduring pain. Yes, he had an inner joy because he understood what it was, but he was in pain. He was sweating blood. It was a struggle for him in that, in that moment, but that is the greatest act of love humanity has ever known. That is love. That is love. Love is about selflessness. Like Paul says, love is patient and kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It is not self-seeking. So love actually isn't about me and how someone makes me feel. No, love is about the object of my beloved and doing everything for their ultimate good. Love is about seeing someone else thrive. It is about the best in the highest, purest way for my beloved, even if it costs me everything. That is love. Love is about me wanting the best for someone else. And here's the problem. So here's, like, we can understand that, but here's where we get it wrong. Because what happens is, and the same is true for first century Hebrews, but it's very, very true for us today, is we go, Amen. You know, love is about the very best. So God is love, and God loves me. God's my father. We've just, uh, uh, you know, we've just explained that. So God is my father, and he is love. Therefore, he is loving, and he desperately loves me. So therefore, God is for my good. And we're like, amen. God's for my good. He wants, he's about favoring me. He's about pouring out blessing and abundance upon my life. We're like, I receive that in Jesus' name. That's the reality that I'm choosing to live by. Hallelujah. It's a great celebration. It's a great reality to lay claim of. It makes us want to sing, God, you're so good. You know, I am like, I am blessed, I am called, I am healed, I am whole. I am saved in Jesus' name. You know, we start to declare these things, highly favoured, anointed, filled with your power. You know, this is what we want to declare. We're like, that's such an awesome reality to praise God about. But then it doesn't become our reality. Because all of a sudden, something will happen in life and we find ourselves suffering we're like, where's that reality that I've just been singing and praising about? God, you're good. You love me. You're for me. I know that that's a promise. So why am I going through this? And what happens in our society is that we therefore say, well, therefore God must not be good. Or maybe God is not real. And so we throw our hands up in the air and we forsake the very God who is a loving father, who is for us, who is wanting to favor us, who is wanting to bless us. But the problem is not the nature of God. The problem is that God's understanding of what's good for us and our understanding of what's good for us are two very different things. We want the Rolex. And God's like, what you need is jocks and socks. 
We want Giorgio Armani. And God says, you just need Rexona, bro. <laughs> just roll that thing on. It'll be much better for you in the long run. And God knows what we need. And what we need is not always what we want, but what we need is the evidence of love. And so God is a loving Heavenly Father who will pour out into us His love by giving us what we need. So yes, God is love. Yes, God is for us. Yes, God wants to bless us. But sometimes the blessing is not abundance, but brokenness. That's a difficult word sometimes for us to hear. But what what does Jesus say on the Sermon on the Mount? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. He says, blessed are those who mourn. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted. He doesn't say, blessed are those who drive a Cadillac. He actually speaks blessing into the brokenness because God understands that actually sometimes our ultimate good can only be birthed through trial. That God's intention for us, the object, the goal of love is actually righteousness, When you examine the scriptures, you see that the end goal, the purpose of God's love in pouring love out to us is to make us the righteousness of God in Christ. He wants to see us refined. He wants to see us become more like him. He wants to take that which is destroying us and remove that and bring us into the fullness and the abundance of his love. And sometimes that requires a removal of that which would bring destruction. Sometimes, because God is love, he actually disciplines his children. Because discipline administered in love is for our good. And God, who loves each one of us, gave his son that we might have life If we start wandering down a path that is not healthy, that is not good, is walking away from the promise and the fullness of who he is, God will actually bring us back into the promise that he has and he will use discipline. He will actually allow us to endure suffering and difficulty because he wants to refine us and renew us and make us the very person that he created us to be. And sometimes that involves a chisel. Let's have a look at verse 10 and 11. Look at this. Talking about our earthly fathers, they disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good. In order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful later on. However, it produces what? A harvest of righteousness and peace. Hallelujah. Discipline produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. God is utterly for us. There's an ancient, not an ancient, an old uh, Scottish theologian by the name of George MacDonald, and he said something so profound, one of those statements that you just ponder over like I was talking about. He said, love loves unto purity. Love loves unto purity. And what that means is that because God is utterly For us, he is utterly against that which is against us. So if there is something in us which would cause our destruction, God will remove that thing because he is for us. 
Because he wants to bless us. He wants to fill us with his spirit. He wants us to walk in righteousness, in the fullness of life that he bought for us. And so sometimes that means he's got to be against that which is against us, but in us. James Smith, the author of The Good and Beautiful God, great book, you should read it. It says, He says this, God is against my sin because he is for me. And if I am for sin, God stands against those desires because they cause my destruction. I would not have it any other way. To be sure, I am prone to excusing my sin or rationalizing my weakness, but God is not in that business. Though we are now reconciled through Christ, God is not indifferent to my sin. It hurts me, therefore it hurts God because God loves me. Because God is for me. Because he is a loving father. So I want you to understand that sometimes God will enable you to go through stuff because he's correcting us. And he's drawing us back to the person we were supposed to be. But here's the last point. Here's the last thing I want to just pull out of this passage. Is that we need to also understand that not all suffering is discipline. Not all hardship that we go through is God deliberately, intentionally disciplining us. Have a look at verse 7. This is key to what we're talking about here. Endure hardship as. Somebody say as. Discipline. It doesn't say endure hardship because God is disciplining you. It says endure hardship as discipline. What God is saying here is that we need to actually recognize that sometimes because of the brokenness of the world, because of the the sin in the world, which causes so much suffering and so much pain and so much just difficulty in our everyday lives, it's not the result of any one person doing anything wrong. It's just the nature of the world in which we live. It's a broken world. And because the the world is broken, bad stuff happens. But God says, hey, Look at it through a different lens. If you look at what you're going through, through the lens of a loving father who is for you, if you look at it as him wanting to refine you through the finished work of the cross in what Jesus has done for us, where God did not abandon his own son on the cross, he did not forsake us, he came and he gave his life for us. If God would do that for us, then God is not forsaking or abandoning you in your difficulty now. No, he's for you. So endure what you're going through as if it were discipline. Recognize that the loving Heavenly Father can and will use this to bring about your ultimate good. And he'll do it because he's a loving Father. That when you're suffering, when you're going through stuff, when you're being caught and forced to endure difficulty, it is because God loves you. He enables it. He doesn't just cancel it. He doesn't say, let me take that from you. Let me make your life all about comfort and ease because he's actually for us and he actually wants to see us grow and develop and be trained in righteousness. So he allows it because through it, he's going to bring about our good. He's going to bring about our 
good. Guys, I want us to I want us to catch this today. Let, let's have a look at some of the scriptures. In seeing Jesus and keeping our eyes on him, that's how it started. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And then it says, consider him who endured such suffering. In seeing him, in keeping our eye on him, recognizing that the Father has not abandoned us. God is not the cause of evil. We live in that broken world, but he is for us. And as we see it through the lens of the Savior, we can join James where he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. We can join Paul in Romans 5. Not only so, but we also glory in our suffering. What the heck? Who glories in suffering? Rarely do I. I often complain. But Paul says we glory in suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into the hearts, in our hearts, through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We can join with Paul again in 2 Corinthians 4 where he says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Friends, the author of Hebrews here is making the exact same point. See what you're going through. See your situation through the lens of the content of the cross, through the finished work of the cross. And when you see that, you recognize the hand of a loving father. You recognize a God who has not forsaken you. Or you recognize a, a father who is good, a father who is true, a father who has come for you, a father who has embraced you in his son on the cross and is saying, I love you. And I will not forsake you. I will not neglect you. I will not allow this thing to get the better of you. But I am in it. I am with you. I am using this to bring about something in you that comfort can never bring. Comfort can't do it. And though we sit there and say, well, God is love and I want my comfort and I want my peace and I want, you know, my blessing. God says, actually, the blessing is in this because I'm going to bring about what a harvest of righteousness and peace. A harvest of righteousness and peace. And you're saying, well, I don't see that harvest in my life, but you don't see what God sees. Because God is interested. He sees it all. And we, he might call us to endure for a lifetime. He might call us to endure from the beginning to the end, never once seeing the fulfillment of that blessed promise. He might say and call us into that life. He might just do it. But we don't realize that in our enduring, in our persevering, in trusting 
in him and on him, there is an impact for generations. That maybe it's your kids or your kids' kids or your friend or your colleague or that person, the random stranger who happens to sit at the bus stop and watches you walk past. I don't know. Who knows the impact that your endurance can have for the kingdom gain of God? But he calls us, he says, endure as if it's discipline. Trust your loving heavenly father is what he's saying. Trust your father. Trust your father. As a child, trust their father. Trust him. He knows what's good for you because he's loving and he's bringing about the ultimate good. And one day, just maybe someone will come to you and say, I'm here because I saw the way that you endured. Because I saw God at work in your life. So here's the promise of Hebrews. You have a loving heavenly father. And he is good. Sometimes he will discipline in order to bear fruit. A fruit tree only fulfills its potential when it's pruned. Pruning is not easy. But it's fruitful. And sometimes we just go through stuff. But when we go through stuff, God has not forsaken you. Trust him as a child trusts a father. Because your loving heavenly father is for your good. He is for your gain. He is for your blessing. He wants to bless you. And that blessing, who knows the shape it will take. Ben, I'm going to invite you up and we're going to close. Would you stand to your feet as I finish here in verse 12 and 13? In light of all of this, in light of everything we've just read, in light of the struggle, in light of the promise of the Father heart of God to be with us in the midst of it, to bring about our righteousness through it, to bring about his righteousness in the world through it, he says, therefore, and this, I love this, this is that Father, just picture him. It's like, I also picture a coach in this moment, right? I picture the coach as your fourth quarter, you're struggling, the team's just, your opposition's just kicked a couple of goals on you, your head's down, he just gets you in and he goes, therefore, in light of all of this glorious promise of God, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. He's saying, keep running. He said it all through Hebrews and he says it again and again and again and again. Keep running. Because God is for you and not against you. And if God is for you, then who can be against you? Because he's good. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we do love you and we thank you. And This morning, Lord, just so want to pray for my brothers and sisters who are in that battle. It's just been heavy on my heart all week, Lord. For brothers and sisters who feel like they're in that battle, that they would know the glorious promise of a loving Father. That we would see that struggle through the lens of the cross that we would fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, that we would consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that we will not grow weary or grow tired. 
Father, help us, Lord, to see you for who you truly are. And for everyone here who, as they consider their own father and they, there's a lament and a deep grieving or they consider a promise that they're holding on to that has not yet been answered or they've got a hope in their heart that they're longing for around fatherhood in this space. Lord, please, Father God, would you just bring us again to the cross, bring us again to what you have done, bring us again to the blessing that is in the brokenness of the body of Christ. And Father, pour out your spirit now upon your people. I pray for a great encouragement this week. As we set out to run the race with perseverance marked out for us. I pray for a great encouragement this week. As we set out to endure what is before us. I pray for a great encouragement this week for those in this space who are walking in beautiful physical blessing and that at everywhere they turn, they sense the favor of God. I pray for an encouragement in that, that there would be a rejoicing and a thankfulness and and never a sense of, look what my own hands have achieved, like never a turning away from me, but a giving of all glory to you for your goodness in that space. We thank you, Jesus, for what you have done. We love you, Lord. praise you for what you say is the encouragement of the father who disciplines his child you're with us at every turn and for that we are grateful in Jesus name everyone said Amen let's take some time to worship God You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.